Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How are you doing? I pray, as always, that you are well. I'm happy to be with you. Uh, Not video, but audio today. Um, And I'm just so grateful to God uh, that we have another day to be together and to live and to learn our faith and to live for Him and to raise our children to be saints. Um, I had a, a bit of feedback yesterday from what I read from the Catechism Explained on um, Creation by the Reverend Dom Sparago. Um, and so, uh, not Dom, but uh, Father Sparago. Um, I uh, wanted to read a, a different take on it because the Catholic Church has left the uh, literal six-day creation, six-day literal 24 hours, uh, or... Uh, more of a symbolic six-day period of time. Uh, I wasn't discussing evolution. Uh, Man did not evolve. Um, Or at least uh, we can say what the church does say for certain is that, and we weren't speaking of evolution yesterday, but that at one point um, God put into man his spirit and man became a living soul. Uh, that uh, man as a living, human, thinking, willing being is made in the image of God and did not evolve. Um, in fact, well, let me not go, go beyond that. What I'd like to do, I search for different articles. There are those who are very strong on a literal six-day creation with God resting on the seventh. That is what I always was taught and always believed from my Protestant years. And there are many in the Catholic Church that believe the same. Shockingly, I came upon um, respected scholars and uh, clergy and such that believed that the earth could be millions, if not billions, of years old. And so uh, the Church has not spoken definitively on it, but the Church Fathers and others have issued their own uh, Uh, the result of their own thoughts and studies. So I thought I'd read an article from Catholic Answers that presents three views of uh, creation. Jimmy Aiken wrote this one. He's not infallible. Uh, Father Sparago is not infallible. I'm definitely not infallible. Uh, But this is an ongoing issue that the Church has not spoken definitively on even though there are strong uh, opinions and conclusions from research. Um, Jimmy says the six days of creation recorded in Genesis chapter 1 represent one of the most beautiful and most controversial passages in Scripture. Over the centuries, many interpretations of what the six days mean have been proposed. Here are three common ones. First, the ordinary week 
interpretation. And according to this view, the days of Genesis chapter 1 are six 24-hour days that occur within the space of one week, completed by a literal seventh day of divine rest. While this view historically has been the most common interpretation, there have always been prominent dissenters from this view, including St. Augustine. And that may be the correct view, and it's the view I've always uh, understood. Um, However, um, I cannot um, discard uh, the view of other uh, scholars and uh, people far more educated and intelligent and studied than I am. So uh, the second view is the day-age interpretation. This view draws on the fact that the Hebrew word for day, which is yom, uh, and I know that from my Jewish background, yom kippur, is the day of covering, the holiest day of the Jewish year. Um, um, So the Hebrew word for day, yom, y-o-m, also can represent a longer period of time than 24 hours, as it clearly does in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. Um, in quotes, the day that the Lord made the earth and the heavens. Well, uh, if we follow Genesis, even if we take a literal view, it's a literal six days and the seventh day of rest. So the day that the Lord made the heavens and the earth obviously as a period of time. According to this view, the days of Genesis 1 represent long periods of time, even the billions of years of modern science uh, that they talk about. And the third, the framework interpretation. So there's the ordinary week, the day, age, day hyphen age interpretation, and the framework interpretation, which holds that the six days of creation are not intended to convey anything in particular about the time or sequence in which God created things. Instead, they represent a literary framework into which the events of creation are fitted. Now, I'm going to read this article, um, uh, and you might be more confused than ever. Uh, join me in this, because I cannot come with something definitive. What I read yesterday from the Catechism Explained is not what I have been taught through the years, in my Protestant years, um, but it has come around in my Catholic years to uh, be more um, uh, possible in thought. So uh, Jimmy says, according to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, one must read the scripture within the living tradition of the whole church. This means that when interpreting scripture, one must take account of the interpretations offered by the church fathers, the source of the church's tradition, and by the magisterium, the shepherd and arbiter of the church's tradition. Hold on. Okay. Reading scripture, and it doesn't mean that truth truth never changes, Um, but our understanding, um, I could say, develops, as uh, Cardinal Newman wrote, the development of of, uh, Christian doctrine. It develops. We know that God is one. 
But it took time for the church to fully understand that God is three in one because he did not reveal himself as clearly as a triune God, three persons in one Godhead, until the new covenant, the incarnation of the Son of God, and then the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. He didn't evolve God. He was always that way. But we came to learn in time uh, and through scripture uh, and through events uh, who that God was, who he is, and that he is one God, but a triune God. Uh, And again, the triune God of Abraham. Um, So let me just say, reading scripture in this way provides two potential limits that are helpful in narrowing the field of possible interpretations. One is not free to advance a scriptural interpretation that contradicts the unanimous consent of the fathers or contradicts what has been infallibly proposed by the magisterium. Even when the magisterium has not spoken infallibly, one still must honor what it has said in keeping with the authoritativeness of the magisterium's interventions, which becomes clear um, from the nature of the documents, the insistence with which a teaching is repeated and the very way in which it is expressed. That is a direct quote from the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. Though the majority of church fathers took the six days of creation as being six literal days, there was not moral unanimity among them on this question. In addition, later Catholic authorities, such as Thomas Aquinas, recognized a diversity of permissible interpretations. And uh, Jimmy quotes the Summa Theologica here um, uh, on that. And anyone can go to catholic.com and type in creation and get all the references here. Though the magisterium also has not made any definitive claims regarding the interpretation of the six days, it has given some non-defined statements on this subject. In 1909, the Pontifical Biblical Commission issued a series of responses to questions on Genesis chapters 1 through 3. Among these, um, the uh, Pontifical Biblical Commission answered the following questions. Now, they may be questions you have, beloved. So when we come back from the break, we will take them. And uh, we may probably won't get through this entire article, but um, uh, at least it'll begin to be a response to those who have come to me following yesterday's podcast with the absolute uh, solid belief in a six-day, 24-hour creation. Again, that's what I've always understood, but I'm not the be-all and end-all of anything. So a very respected uh, man who I respect, Hugh Owen, Dr. Hugh Owen, uh, has, uh, from his perspective, proved the six-day creation, the literal six-day. We'll be right back. Active 
consecration to St. Michael the Archangel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A most noble prince of the angelic hierarchies, valorous warrior of Almighty God, and zealous lover of His glory, terror of the rebellious angels, and love and delight of all the just ones, my beloved Archangel St. Michael, desiring to be numbered among thy devoted servants, I today offer and consecrate myself to thee, and place myself, my family, and all I possess under thy most powerful protection. I entreat thee not to look at how little I, as thy servants, have to offer, being only a wretched sinner, but to gaze, rather, with favorable eye at the heartfelt affection with which this offering is made. And remember that if from this day onward I am under thy patronage, thou must, during all my life, assist me and procure for me the pardon of my many grievous offenses and sins, the grace to love with all my heart my God, my dear Savior Jesus, and my sweet mother Mary, and obtain for me all the help necessary to arrive to my crown of glory. Defend me always from my spiritual enemies, particularly in the last moments of my life. Come then, O glorious Prince, and succor me in my last struggle, and with thy powerful weapon, cast far from me into the infernal abysses that prevaricator and proud angel that one day thou prostrated in thy celestial battle. St. Michael, defend us in our daily battle, so that we may not perish in the last judgment. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. Um, we are uh, today um, speaking about uh, creation, whether it is a literal six-day, uh, 24-hour, uh, six-day creation, and God having rested on the seventh day, or whether the day can be taken as eons, so to speak, of time. We read this yesterday from uh, the Catechism Explained uh, and the commentary by Reverend Sparago, and I got uh, some strong feedback on that by those who believe in a literal um, six-day creation, 24 hours, which I said earlier in the program is what I've always been taught through my Protestant years and even in my Catholic years. Um, but in my Catholic years, I've begun to see the diversity of understanding on that. Um, and so um, there are, as we, as we just left before the break, um, the Pontifical Biblical Commission um, has issued a series of responses to questions on the first three chapters of Genesis. Among these uh, are the following. So, quote, <clears throat> in the interpretation of those passages in the chapters of Genesis, um, which the fathers and doctors understood in different manners, without proposing anything certain and definite 
is it lawful to follow and defend the opinion that commends itself to one? Uh, then, in the designation and distinction of six days mentioned in the first chapter of Genesis, may the word yom in Hebrew yom, Y-O-M, day, be taken either in the literal sense for the natural day or in an applied sense for a certain space of time. And may this question be the subject of free discussion among exegetes. Um, and the biblical, um, uh, Pontifical Biblical Commission's affirmative replies to both these questions established uh, their reply to both of these questions established a significant measure of freedom for the interpretation of the six days. In particular, the answer to the latter question asserted room for the day-age hypothesis. Hypothesis. <laughs> it's easy for you to say. Further liberty. In other words, we have the freedom to believe in a literal six-day creation or in a six-day creation that represents six ages. Um, further liberty on the question was granted when Pope Pius XII approved a reply from the Pontifical Biblical Commission that effectively nullified the restrictive aspects of the Commission's 1909 reply, stating, the, stating these replies are in no way a hindrance to further truly scientific study. That's Pius XII. Um, to, to further truly scientific examination of these problems in according with, accordance with the results acquired in the last 40 years. The reply went on to note that the question of the literary forms of the first 11 chapters of Genesis is far more obscure and complex. These literary forms do not correspond to any of our classical categories and cannot be judged in the light of the Greco-Latin or modern literary types. It is therefore impossible to deny or to affirm their historicity as a whole without unduly applying them to the norms of a literary type under which they can be classified. Now, um, I'm not sure um, what Pius Twelfth was saying there, I have to tell you, beloved. Um, he's not saying that uh, the scripture is not historical and that the first 11 chapters of Genesis are, uh, are not from God. He's not saying that. The question is how we understand them. He says, though there was a great deal of liberty thereby granting to exegetes on how to interpret these chapters of Genesis, Pius Twelfth nevertheless imposed important limits on the types of theories that could be regarded as compatible with the Catholic faith. He noted that the great freedom of exegesis permitted in regard to the early chapters of Genesis must be tempered by an awareness that the text is divinely inspired and not on a par with pagan myths. In recent years, the Church has adopted at least the outlines of an official position 
on the interpretation of the six days. This happened in 1992 with the release of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which states, quote, God, that's the current catechism, God himself created the visible world in all its richness, diversity, and order. Scripture presents the work of the creator symbolically as a succession of six days of divine work concluded by the rest of the seventh day. Hold on, dear ones. The catechism statement that scripture presents the work of the um, creator symbolically as a succession of six days takes at least a general position on the interpretation of six days. The succession of six days is the means by which scripture presents um, symbolically the work of the creator. Symbolically, again, my comment here, because we could take a literal 24-day, but if we could also take six days as six ages or periods of time, then the day, uh, Yom, is uh, not taken as 24 hours, but symbolically as a, um, a period of time. Um, some have tried to argue that the catechism means merely that the creation narrative includes a few symbols, but that's not what it says. Um, uh, The word symbolically as an adverb modifying the verb presents. The resulting symbolic manner of presentation is being then specified uh, as a succession of six days. The succession of days itself Not just a few items mentioned within the days is what the catechism says is symbolic. Um, We're not going to have time to finish this, as I said, dear ones. And probably what I'm reading is just too confusing to hear uh, directly over the air. So you're welcome to go to catholic.com. There's a couple of articles on the six days of creation and the various interpretations through the years of the church. The ordinary week view is at variance, meaning six literal 24-hour days, is at variance with the catechism statement because it takes the succession of six days as six literal days, not as a symbolic presentation of what God did. The day-age view, that is uh, 24 hours, at least as it is usually presented, also is at variance with the catechism because it does not take the days as symbols. It plays on the fact that the Hebrew word yom can mean either 24 hours or a longer period. It simply holds that in this case, the word yom is referring to a longer indefinite period of time. The time period is still a literal one, not a symbol. Um, Okay, I'm going to skip some things here uh, because we won't have time. Um, Jimmy Aiken presents this. Different models could be proposed to explain how the six days do their job as a symbol. Um, 
uh, I don't want to keep this past today, so I'm trying to uh, skim. Um, uh, there's always, there has always been a problem um, uh, with the six-day literal interpretation um, in that for each day, Genesis specifies that there was evening and there was morning. Evening and morning in that order are the transition points of the day, according to the Hebrew reckoning. The Hebrew day starts at sunset. The mention of evening and morning tells you that yom, day, is being used in the 24-hour sense, since longer periods are not divided by evening and morning in this way. While this days as symbol of ages view, uh, 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 better squares with scripture in this respect, it would still have the other drawbacks, drawbacks of the day-age theory. The sun not being created until the fourth age, after the earth already has dry land, and after it has hydrological cycle, and most importantly, after it has a day-night cycle. People in the ancient world knew that daylight comes from the sun, and early writers such as Origen and Augustine remarked on the fact that the sun was not created until the fourth day, sometimes citing it as a reason not to take these as ordinary literal days. It's also worth noting that the day-age theory and its variants could have birds being created on the fifth day before land animals uh, get created on the sixth. Yet science would suggest the order was the reverse. Land animals came before birds. The creation of the sun on the fourth day is suggestive, as it would have been to the ancient audience that the succession of days is not intended to be taken as a strict chronological account and that something else is at work as an ordinary principle in the text. What that might be is not hard to see, Jimmy says. For centuries, it has been recognized that the six days of creation are divided into two sets of three. In the first set, God divides one thing from another, from day from night, waters from below, and waters below from each other. Classically, this is known as the work of division or distinction. In the second three days, God goes back over the realms he produced by division and populates or adorns them. He populates the day and night with the sun, moon, and stars. He populates the waters above and below with birds and fish. And lastly, he populates the land between the divided waters with animals and man. Classically, this is known as the work of adornment. Um, oh, there's so much. I, I wish I could hold time and read the rest of this article. But it is to say, dear ones, um, that uh, there have been by great intellects, including church fathers, who believed both views, the little six day and the six day, six day taken symbolically as periods of time, as ages. So I cannot solve this. The church has not spoken utterly definitively on it. And um, I, I would uh, well study both views.
This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for June 14th. Today we celebrate St. Albert Chmielowski. Today's saint chose to leave the world of art, literature, and theater in order to serve Christ. In doing so, he became a model and hero to many, including a young Polish priest who would later become a pope. Albert was born into a wealthy Polish family in 1845. During the 1864 revolt against Tsar Alexander III, he suffered severe wounds that required the amputation of his left leg. After studying painting in Warsaw, Munich, and Paris, he returned home and became a secular Franciscan. In 1888, he founded the Brothers of the Third Order of St. Francis, Servants to the Poor. Albert and his brothers worked primarily with the homeless, depending completely on alms while serving the needy regardless of age, religion, or politics. Later, a community of Albertine sisters also was established. Albert died in 1916. In 1989, Pope John Paul II canonized Brother Albert, calling him a real spiritual support and example in his own life. As a young priest, Carol Waitia had written a play about Brother Albert's life entitled, The Brother of Our God. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. I worked in pro baseball for a long time, and we play on Sundays. And it was an easy excuse. I took the easy out and just didn't go to Mass. Got caught up on that whole selfishness, that whole, you know, um, I can do it all. The times when I was struggling were the times I needed God the most. And now that uh, I've come back and accepted God, my world has completely changed. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason, visit catholicscomehome.org today. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back to Mother Miriam Live, dear ones. This is our half hour all to ourselves. And, um, uh, you know, I, I, um, I want to say that when you call in or ask questions, when I speak on topics, I'm not the, the be-all and end-all. I'm not a scholar. I don't, I'm not infallible. And so I look to those who are theologians and who, uh, and to the church fathers, and to our uh, holy uh, church prelates of today, um, and uh, as all of us, we need to learn our faith and ponder it, and ask questions, and understand not just what we believe, but why we believe what we believe. And every once in a while, there comes an issue, just like the creation issue that we've been speaking about, that we have learned maybe from childhood, and all of a sudden someone presents something uh, that is foreign to us, and we, we could even be frightened by it because it comes from a, a wonderful priest we respect or from scholar or, or uh, from direct church teaching, and we say, my goodness, how could I have believed, how could what I believe been wrong? Don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid. I've had parents call in, my teenage son, is asking so many questions, you should be happy about that. Um, if, if, 
if a child grows up and they simply accept what they've uh, been taught all their life and it doesn't become their own deep faith, they're going to be in trouble. So it's good to say, how come we believe this? Why do we do this? Why do we have this practice? Why is it a mortal sin to not go to church on Sunday? Why, Mom? Why this? And, and you must look up. The answers are there. God wants us. He said, come, let us reason together. Don't ever be afraid of questions and don't be afraid of different views. Um, I'm more of a black and white person. So, uh, you know, there's a certain security in saying this is true, not that. But it's not always the case. And so um, we need to learn how to open our hearts, uh, not let our faith uh, be subject to every uh, wind uh, that comes along. But uh, we need to not be afraid to look into things and know exactly why we believe what we believe. So again, I've always believed the literal six-day creation with God resting on the seventh, literal 24 hours. Um, but I read yesterday a very wonderful, respected priest who uh, is the main commenter of the Catholic um, Catechism, of the Catechism of, of Trent, explained, and I'm not going to go against such a one. He could be wrong, but I'm not the one to say so. Um, and uh, someone like Dr. Hugh Owen, tremendously uh, respected, a scholar, and others, others, many others, who believe, uh, again, in a literal six-day creation or in ages, uh, I'm not one to judge them or their studies. Uh, I want to learn from them. And they can help me to think through these things, which to me is a treasure. Anyone that helps me to think further than my limited self, uh, I'm, I'm very grateful for that. So um, let's see now. Um, let me go to... Um, an email from, let me just see, from Ty, T-Y, um, Mother Miriam, he says, or she, I think, I'm not sure, Ty, T-Y, is a man or woman. I'm wondering if there was ever a time in your life when you questioned why you believed in God. The answer is yes, but let me go on with the, your email. I have some friends who are considering leaving the church. Um, and I'm wondering what I might be able to say to remind them, uh, hold on now, just a second, something jumped here, to remind them of why they're in church to begin with and hopefully convince them to stay, although I know they should not need any convincing. Thanks for your advice, Ty. Ty, um, uh, many people uh, need convincing. Again, uh, it's important to not just believe, but to know why we believe what we believe. Um, so when uh, through my life, uh, we generally believed in God, but there was a time that I, years that I wasn't sure that God existed. I went through that. My brother David uh, was sure that God did exist. He became an atheist. So, you know, when many things, and I think one thing that greatly influences uh, some people 
and I, I think it did my brother, is claiming, and forgive me, David, if you hear this, and I'm not speaking for you, but I recall a story that of claiming when you live with people who believe a certain thing, and in our case, the Jewish faith, um, certain uh, beliefs, biblical uh, principles, um, all of that, um, and what the faith teaches, and yet see them live a life inconsistent with that. And when you come across others who live a life utterly consistent with their belief, you're drawn to their belief or to no belief. So, um, uh, and I grew up that way. With the Jewish mind, you could say, uh, you don't need to tell me what you believe. I will tell you what you believe by your life. I will tell you what you believe. And if they came across a Catholic that missed church on Sundays, um, they would say, I thought you were Catholic. And they said, oh, we are. Well, how come you're not at church? You sleep in, you go to the beach. Well, you know, we do that once in a while, but we believe the, the Jew or others would say, or even the Muslim would say, no, you don't. You don't believe. You live what you believe. So um, it, a lot of confusion in the world by um, especially the Catholic faith today, whose dirty laundry is being spread all over the world. How could we convince people that the Catholic Church is true, is indeed the church Christ established um, when we see so many Catholics defecting from the faith, bishops and priests teaching against the faith, uh, uh, embracing completely immoral um, concepts uh, such as so-called same-sex marriage and uh, LGBTQ and transgenderism by approved by Catholics, um, it's, it's beyond me. Um, and it's, it's a tragedy of a, a poor witness, a confusing witness at, at best to the world. So um, if you have friends who are considering leaving the church, um, uh, they may not know why they were in church to begin with. They may never have known their faith. I'll say this, Ty, someone who knows what the Catholic faith is and believes it at any point, not just know, not just was raised in it, but believed it, who knew that the Eucharist was truly Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity, that person would never leave. You say, how could you say that, Mother? You don't know. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. If you believe, if you love Christ, and you believe that this is his church, and that he is truly present, body, blood, soul, and divinity, in the blessed sacrament, why would you leave? Would you leave Christ for fellowship? Would you leave Christ for a, a, a cult or a sect that, that uh, uh, claims some very strong things that everybody believed, but everybody was wrong because they didn't believe that Christ was truly God? Uh, what would you do? Uh, I'll tell you, uh, I can't imagine what would uh, enable me. I can't imagine what would enable me to leave the church. Um, everything the scriptures speak about, and Ty, this is what you can tell them, just what I'm saying. If you know that the Eucharist is Christ, and it's not Christ, the, the communion, so to speak, uh, is not Christ, 
in any other except the uh, the Orthodox, the Eastern Church, is not Christ. Um, uh, the valid, the sacraments are not valid, not in the Anglicanism, not in any form of Protestantism, uh, nothing. They're not valid. Um, why would you leave Christ for what you think is a happier or even more reverent church? Um, for me, Ty, and I'll speak to everyone, dear, dear ones, um, it took me 51 years to find the true church and all the uh, if, if the all of hell entered it i'm not leaving uh why would i leave if i leave the church i'm leaving christ and the scriptures say that in the end times um there will be a great apostasy people will leave that's what's happening uh, paul the sixth said the smoke of satan has entered the church because it's the church all the prophecies of Our Lady have said that bishops will be against bishops. Rome will lose the faith. The mass will even be uh, stopped at one point. It won't be stopped. It won't be allowed publicly, but it'll be underground. The mass will never stop to be uh, celebrated. Christ will never stop to represent his once-for-all sacrifice of Calvary. So... The Catholic Church is what our Lord began and will exist to the end of time. And if we're close to the end of time, it's no time now to leave the church, beloved. If you leave the church, you're on your own. You're in some form of Protestantism, which began, got its name because of the protesters of the 16th century. Protestantism. So, um, Ty, your friend does not know his faith. I would say to him, tell me why you're Catholic to begin with. What you're going to be, you want to be leaving the church you're considering, but what are you considering leaving? And why have you been in it up till now? Um, uh, so again, um, um, we don't, um, some, I'm not going to get this right. Someone said, we don't leave Jesus because of Judas. We don't do that. Um, and if you leave, uh, there's no salvation for you. Then there's no salvation. Hebrews chapter 6, once you have tasted the truth and then you leave, there is no salvation for you. Um, so think very seriously. Make those serious statements to them and offer to meet with them and teach them the truth. Give them the catechism uh, to go through with them um, uh, you could give them, it depends upon, um, I don't know if they're converts or they've always been in the church. Um, uh, a wonderful book, and the number one book that helped me uh, to come into the church is The Spirit of Catholicism. Uh, it's more theological, but if they are leaving because of the mess in the church, tell them that Christ came into the mess of our world to bring us to God. And we would be in the midst of the mess and leave him for something that was more pleasing to us when it will not be of God. It will not, if you're outside the Catholic Church, it is not of God, dear ones. Absolutely not. Um, okay, let me see. Um, uh, we have an email from Hausner. 
who says, my friend's cousin is sick in the hospital and near death. He cannot speak or move his body. My friend is concerned that his cousin is not baptized. Um, the priest who visited him refused to baptize him because he is an adult who could not consent. So my friend gave him a Trinitarian baptism himself. Did he do the right thing? Thank you, Mother. Oh, dear. Um, I'm going to uh, think on that and answer you as soon as we come back from the break. It'll be our last segment, dear ones. And you're welcome to call in with anything whatsoever on your heart. Toll free, one 5483 or email at mother@thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back. This is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. What's your go-to for interpreting the Bible? You go on Sinatra, he did it his way, or you go on Magisterium, we're doing it the Apostles' way. Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. The Magisterium. What's that? That's the indisputable 2,000-year teaching authority of the Church. The Catechism says, the task of giving an authentic interpretation of the Word of God has been entrusted to the living teaching office of the Catholic Church alone. Secondly, a stark contrast. Again, the Catechism says, the Magisterium is not superior to the Word of God, but it is its servant. In contrast, the megachurch pastors are coming up with some crazy stuff. They tell us, quote, God is doing a new thing, or the Lord spoke to me this. Humorously, out from all of this, they become their own pseudo-magisterium. And thirdly, Mr. Sinatra, your voice and your music in the 40s swooned my mother, but with lofty lyrics and a lot of ego, your advice from the 1975 hit, I did it my way, falls short. Come on, let's get under the comforting shade of the magisterium. beloved this is mother miriam many of you are familiar with mother miriam live but i wonder if you have listened to some of the other programs from the station of the cross such as the catholic current father robert mcteague discusses important topics in the church and in the world each weekday at 5 p.m eastern you can listen anytime to the catholic current as a podcast on the iCatholic radio mobile app what you're offering and giving to me, you deserve to get back because you're offering more than I can give. I learned so much through the station on the cross. I listen to the radio station daily and I absolutely love it. I was attending the chapel and places like that and through your programs I was able to find out how other Protestants had come back into the Catholic Church. God bless the station on the cross. Donate today at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our last segment, so again, our lines are open. You're welcome to call in with anything on your heart, toll-free, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Just before the break, we read an email from Hausner, who says, My friend's cousin is sick in the hospital and near death. He cannot speak or move his body. 
My friend is concerned that his cousin is not baptized. The priest who visited him refused to baptize him because he is an adult who could not consent. So my friend gave him a Trinitarian baptism himself. Trinitarian means uh, to give a valid baptism. That is, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That was, that's what that would uh, include. Did he do the right thing? Thank you, Mother Hausner. You know, I, as a layperson, I, I don't know that I could rightly... Um, that I could give you a definitive answer to that, Hausner, but uh, I would almost say he didn't do the wrong thing. How's that? Uh, because um, though he cannot move his body, he cannot speak. If he could have moved even a finger, the priest could say, move your right finger. If you say yes, that you believe, yes, that you want to be baptized. But if he's totally paralyzed, he could not do that. And yet, uh, it is said that the hearing of someone uh, is the last to go. So your friend's um, cousin may, may well have heard. Um, and in his heart, in his mind, is thinking still alive, he may have said, yes, we don't know that. So I, I would tend to think, and, and I could have lots of correction on this, I would tend to think uh, that the friend uh, giving him a Trinitarian baptism uh, did just fine. Um, because again, if he didn't, the friend did not consent, um, uh, his cousin is, did not consent, then the, the baptism is not valid. Uh, but if he really could hear and could consent in his heart, then it, it I believe it would be valid. So um, I... I would have opted to baptize him myself. So, uh, and we can baptize other people. We can do that uh, apart from a priest. So, um, I I think your friend did what I would have done. So, I, I would say it's legitimate. If I don't know if the church would say it was the right choice, but nothing's more important than someone's soul. I would have said it's the right choice just in case he could hear and would have said yes. Um, let me take a comment from Donald on YouTube. He says, it's referring to Sister Wilhelmina being called a miracle, and many of you may know by now that um, Sister Wilhelmina was the foundress, is the foundress of the uh, Benedictines of Mary, um, Queen of the Apostles, and she was buried four years ago. It's, it's a thriving community. They become an abbess, an abbey, and they're, I know them. They're beautiful. In fact, I was at uh, Sister Wilhelmina's funeral four years ago in 2019. And uh, you may know from the news all over the place that when they went on the Feast of the Ascension, she died on the Feast of the Ascension, and they went on the Feast of the Ascension four years later to exhume her body because it's common to take the body out of the ground um, and put her in a crypt or a place within the abbey itself. Uh, but they found her body fully intact. Um, and so people have come thousands from all over uh, to see this miracle of not only her body being intact, but uh, she was not embalmed. And uh, the fabric of the coffin inside was, was destroyed. 
and her habit, which was uh, uh, of, of the same or similar ha uh, fabric, um, was uh, completely the habit, including her wimple. Everything was totally intact. So uh, it's, it's quite something. And so Donald says, God, this is a question. God could not end childhood leukemia, but he gave the world a greater miracle, creating a mummy of a dead nun. That's uh, kind of a sarcastic question. Uh, to begin with, God can cure childhood uh, leukemia. There's nothing God cannot do. Um, some people he's cured, some people he has not. Millions go to Lord to be cured, go into the waters. Um, that Bernadette, uh, that came from Bernadette's hands. Uh, some people are cured. I went through those waters and I had a particular something cured, but the rest of me wasn't cured. And uh, I know people who were cured and most people who are not, but they always come out grateful to God because they always receive grace. Uh, and they know that. So, um, um, so there's nothing, dear Donald, God cannot do. Of course he can end childhood leukemia. If he doesn't, it's in his wisdom that he chooses not to. He doesn't cause leukemia, but he allows all things, just as he allows sin. And I'm not connecting illness with sin. Uh, it can be connected, but I'm not at this point. Um, God can do it. Um, uh, and it doesn't say that he did a greater miracle um, in creating a mummy of a dead nun. And the fact is, Donald, God did not create a mummy of a, of a dead nun. Um, uh, a mummy uh, is a body that has been embalmed or treated for burial with preservatives in the manner of the ancient Egyptians, uh, a body unusually and well-preserved. Uh, this was not the case at all with Sister Wilhelmina's body. She was absolutely not preserved. And in fact, there was a crack in her wooden coffin that allowed moisture and um, everything else to enter in and destroyed and bugs, everything all around her. Everything was destroyed except Sister Wilhelmina and, and her habit completely intact. Um, and so there's nothing God can't do. Um, but in this case, he chose, uh, in, in the beauty of his love, to, um, to keep Sister Wilhelmina intact completely for four years. And this is at a time where uh, traditional orders are being shut down and their traditional, and um, the traditional mass is being shut down, and that's what they celebrate. It was almost, in my mind, uh, a sense of God's yes to the traditional order and the traditional mass. So uh, I know your question is filled with sarcasm, but also with pain, Donald. Um, God could end childhood leukemia. He could end cancer. He could do whatever he wishes. He could raise people from the dead. He has done all that. And there's no comparison um, to Sister Wilhelmina. There's nothing God can't do. Um, uh, we have another comment from Christine, uh, who says, this is no miracle. She's dead. What more did, did you think? She isn't talking. She's either in heaven or hell. Well, you're right. 
You're right, Christine. Her spirit is in heaven or hell. But our Lord preserving her body, which would have disintegrated, been eaten up by bugs by now, is a witness to the fact that she's most probably in heaven. And God lets us know there are St. Bernadette, many incorrupt souls in the church, not millions, but a number of them that God preserves to let us know that this soul is in heaven and can pray for us. We still need to canonize people. We still need to have proof of miracles, but it's tremendously encouraging that while the spirit is in heaven, God would preserve the whole body and habit, her clothing intact, uh, to uh, let us know that she lived a holy life and that we may have another saint. God bless all of you, and God willing, we'll speak with you tomorrow.